0: Well, good morning. It's great to see you all out for our second hour together. First hour was packed, and it's great to see you guys out this morning. And those that are joining us online, we certainly welcome all of you. Well, grab your Bible this resurrection morning and turn with me to the Gospel of John. If you turn back towards the back, you're seeing Matthew, Mark, Luke. Let's find John together in the Bible, chapter 20, chapter 20 that speaks of this very account. Well, in John chapter 20, verse 1, we read that it was early in the morning. It was so early that she could barely see a couple feet in front of her. The sun had yet to come up. But Mary Magdalene, accompanied by a couple other ladies, they went to the tomb, the place where Jesus had been placed just two nights earlier on Friday night. And when they arrived, they noticed that the cover of the tomb was gone. The big stone that covered the entrance that was sealed that very night when Christ's body was placed inside had been rolled away. Looking inside, there was no body to be found, only the grave clothes. And John gives us this detail that the head garment, the covering of the head, was actually folded neatly over to the side. Well, Mary and the other ladies, they ran to find Peter and John and the other disciples. And when coming to them, they said, the Lord's body is is missing. Where have they taken him to? And those two disciples, John records it was a foot race to see who could get there the quickest. They sprinted to that tomb and they looked inside. And just as they had been told, the tomb was empty and there were the grave clothes. Now, it's interesting because the guys, they went back home. But Mary Magdalene, she stayed. She looked back inside again, and there she was greeted by two figures, angels, who were there. She turned, and in the darkness, she saw a man that she thought was the gardener. Verse 15 says that she looked to the gardener and she said where have you taken his body if you tell me if you tell me I'll go and get it and bring him back here and it was at that moment that this figure in the darkness spoke her name Mary and no one said her name like that his voice was recognizable No mistake, it was Jesus, he was alive. It's one of my favorite accounts from the Bible, if not the most favorite. I've almost got it memorized play by play by heart. How many of us have that story in our life, especially those true stories that we read over and over again that we love to hear told to us? Growing up, my girls, they loved this little book. It's about a daddy rabbit and his little hair. And the title of the book is Guess How Much I Love You. Many of you are familiar with this. We read it the first two years, every night of my girl's life. The first two years, every night, we read this book to them, You ask them now 10, 15 years later how the story ends, they'll tell you. I love you to the moon and back. It was their favorite book. And Sarah and I set out on a journey those first two years and the years that have followed, the last 15 years, to demonstrate to them just how much we love them. Just how much we care for them. You see as we talked about last week, our actions need to match up with our words. And it's been our goal to give them irrefutable evidence of our love for them. Now the story, I prefer to call it the real life account of Jesus resurrection from the dead is just this. Jesus's death Burial and resurrection is irrefutable evidence of God's love for every one of you. For every one of us. It's a story that we never grow tired of hearing because we want to know that it's true. And we want to know that it is for us. And so this weekend in the next 15 minutes I want to give you three very simple but very meaningful realities, evidence, if you will, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ of God's deep and abiding love for every one of us. First, first, God meets us. God meets us where we are. And even death can't separate us from his love. God will meet you right where you are And should death come to you before he returns, it can't separate you from his love. Now Mary's first encounter with Jesus was not at the tomb. Mary's encounter with Jesus was early on in his ministry, perhaps as many as three years before this particular morning. She had met Jesus at a time in her life where she was living apart from God. The Bible says that she was overtaken. Her life had been given over to demons, to sinful living. Now we don't know what those demons were. Perhaps it was. Some form of sexual immorality. Maybe it was homosexuality. Maybe it was lies. She started with one lie and her entire life was now built on lies. We don't know. Maybe it was anxiety that was out of control or or depression that had come over her. Whatever it was, she had come to Jesus and he had met her right where she was at. In that darkest time of her life. And she did, he did what no one else would do for her. He reached out and connected with her. He spoke to her. He perhaps put his hand on hers. She com- he commanded that these things that had consumed her life, that were robbing her of life, come out of her. And as she let Jesus in he, over time, continued to push those things out to where there wasn't any room left. Yet it was one thing for her to have been separated from God by her sin before Jesus. But now, the one who had loved her so, the one who had healed her and given her this new life, he now was dead. And his body, his body was missing. That's why I think she was there at the tomb. And that's why she stayed even after discovering the tomb was empty. She wanted to know. She had to know that even death couldn't separate her from the love that she had been shown by Jesus. She needed to know that. Because in the darkest hour, in those times when she looked back on her life before meeting Jesus, if Jesus' love for her could continue even in death, then surely his love was there for her during these dark and troubling times. Sometimes we need a reminder, don't we, of the time when Jesus said that if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them is missing, that it's that one that he will go after And it's that one that he will bring home and restore with his love. He knows when we hurt. And he knows when we are afraid, especially when death is doing, when evil is doing its best in death. The Bible says he restores our soul. That goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our saved life. 1 John 4, 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now that Friday, what we call Good Friday before Resurrection Sunday, God revealed to us the horrific consequences of sin. And the consequences of sin is always is always death. But he also revealed the depth of his love for you and me when that resurrection morning, when Mary came to the tomb, Jesus met her first. He met her first to remind her that she can trust him, that she can trust his promises, and nothing can separate her from his love, even death in the grave. He's always there to meet us where we are. Well, in verse 19, we see the second encounter. The second encounter that happened that very same day, that Resurrection Sunday. It says, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, I wish I could have been there. And if I was Jesus, I would have, when I walked through that wall or walked through that locked door, I would have said boo. Right, I would want to see how many of them I could send home to change the robes. You know, scare, scare stuff out of them. <clears throat> Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He then showed them his hands and sighed. It says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw him. He then said to them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, it says, he breathed on them. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, some of us need think back just an hour or so ago to our drive here for worship, especially those that were here at the early service, but maybe for you, 11 o'clock is early. Last Sunday evening, when our daughters asked us, what time do we have to be at church on Easter Sunday? We said, well, we've got to be here at 7 o'clock. That means we've got to be up at 6.30. Well, you could see the terror on their face. It was awful. And I thought to myself, how lucky they are. All they have to do is get up to dry shampoo and a hairbrush. I mean, when we were kids, we had to have matching leisure suits and, and corsages and And the girls had to have those frilly, nasty, ruffly dresses that rub your neck raw. You remember those things growing up. But anyway, it flipped them upside down. All week they have been worried about what time we had to get up this morning. You know, the events of this past year have really flipped our lives upside down. You talk about turmoil. These last 14 months of living in fear that there won't be enough toilet paper. These last 14 months of of making sure that you have exact change at the McDonald's because they tell you that there's a national change shortage but what they really want you to do is round it up a couple bucks, right? Everybody deserves a tip these days even though it takes three hours to get through the drive-through. These last 14 months, our lives have been in turmoil, eating in our cars, I, I mean, If you knew me and knew my cars, how clean I keep them, the guys who buy them after I'm done with them 10 years from now, they're the ones who get to use the real floor mats. I take them out and put rugs down there. And then to have McDonald's french fries and grease on my seats, it's been awful. (laughs) E-learning. What these poor underpaid teachers have done, you parents have now had to do in your home. It's been terrible. Some of your students actually digressed two years by being at home under your tutelage masks, masks, as if we could breathe already among all the smog and the cigarette smoke. They make you wear masks and then they come out when the numbers are going down and say, hey, why don't you wear two or three masks, right? And then you've got all the Karens in the world, not the C Karens, wherever our C Karen is, but the K Karens, right? Who are standing at the door at the store and their one job is to say, hey, where's your mask? No mask, no service, right? And then they're pulling their mask down, picking their nose, and then putting it back up, right? All these cairns, making sure we follow the more intruding men. And then on top of that, we have politics. And we have this vacuum for leadership in our country and these so-called leaders rise to the top to only show their incompetence and the lack of faith that they have and that they are not God-fearing men and women, then we wonder, what in the world happened? But all of this turmoil was only a symptom of a bigger crisis for us. Even the church, listen, our inexperience with trusting God with the unknown is what created all the turmoil in our lives, is our inexperience in trusting him. Now, I'm not saying that if you trusted him that you wouldn't get the virus. I'm not saying that. But we look to everything else for the answers. Our world was turned upside down. We forgot that God is in complete control. You either believe it or you don't. You either believe that it is God who numbers your days or you number them. Well, I'm telling you, it's God. We have seen so many deaths this year, not from COVID, but because it was time for God and time for us. Life for the disciples had been turned upside down. They had walked with Jesus for three years. They had left their careers. They had left everything. One was a IRS tax collector, right? One was a model for Victoria's Secret, the men's collection. Uh, Another one, he was a professional thief. Judas, that's what he did. He could pick any safe. He could pick any pocket. He was the guy. Others were fishermen. But they had left everything to follow Jesus. They had risked their reputation. They had put their life on the line. And when Jesus was crucified on Friday, they were faced with something they hadn't experienced before. Sound familiar? And they were scared out of their gourds because they thought that they would be next, that the government and the religious leaders would be after them. And so they were locked in a room and no wonder they jumped when Jesus appeared to them in the place that they were hiding. No wonder Thomas, who wasn't there that day, who later saw Jesus and said, unless I see your hands, unless I touch your side, but isn't it awesome that the first word out of Jesus' mouth to these men and the first word to us, all of us have struggled this past year when our world got turned upside down because the disease, the illness was real. And for some of us, it got very real. But notice Jesus' first words to these men weren't man up. His words weren't, you should have trusted more. But what did he say? He said, peace. He said, peace. And then he comes back and he says, peace be with you. When he infused in them, he breathed on them peace when he gave them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God living inside of us, the Spirit that's love, the Spirit that is joy and the spirit, that is peace. And that's the second piece of evidence for us this weekend in the resurrection. And that is God's love for us is greater than the uncertainty of life. God's love for us is greater than the uncertainty of life. He brings peace. Peace that if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then no matter how upside down the world gets, Christ is with you, in you, and can't be taken from you. Not even death can take him and his love from us. He's there. John would later write, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, (laughs) that we would be called his own, that we would be his children, and that is what we are. Well, the third encounter is familiar to many of us because we've been there. And that's in John chapter 21, the very next chapter. It's been days now since Jesus appeared to them, the disciples in that locked room, that he appeared to Mary that first resurrection morning. This encounter involves Peter in verse seven. Remember Peter? Peter's the one that when Jesus asked early in his ministry, who do people say I am? He said, well, some say that you're a prophet, maybe Elijah, but then he looked at Peter and he asked Peter the question that every one of us has to answer, right? God eventually looks at us and says, who do you say I am? And remember Peter, those landmarked words, he said, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's Peter. But then it's also Peter who, when Jesus said, I'm getting ready to go, Peter's like, well, I'll go with you. I'll never deny you. Peter's the one who denied knowing Jesus not once, but three times. Peter, the one who at three o'clock in the morning walked on water with Jesus, was now absent on Friday night. Absent from the trial. Absent from the crucifixion. Absent from the grave where they laid our lord you ever find yourself absent you ever unaccounted for absent from worship absent from the gathering absent from serving absent from telling others about Who Jesus is in your life. Absent when the crisis at hand. Leaves you perplexed as. To what you should do. You know it's one thing to be present at the celebration. But when the heat is on. Where are we then? Well that's Peter. He was absent. And now days later he's floating around. On a boat with his friends fishing again. And every day. Every day since that Friday, the devil had been replaying the game tape over and over again. Anybody been playing the game tape over and over again from the events of this past year? The mistakes that we made, the things that we've done in the past, and every time Satan replayed that game tape, he made sure that all that Peter could hear was the rooster crowing three times. All that Peter could hear was, where were you when the Lord was taken and crucified? Peter hears a man calling out from the shore, telling him to try the other side of the boat. And in verse seven it says it was at that moment that Peter and the men on the boat recognized it was Jesus and so Peter jumped from the boat, swam to the shore where Jesus had a warm fire and some fish ready for them to eat. Now why this special encounter? Why not do for Peter what he's about to do back on that resurrection evening when he met Peter in that upper room and and scared the stuff out of him? Because God's love for us extends beyond the moment. His love pursues us to the most private recesses of our heart and mind. You see, his love for you is never absent even when you are. His love for us is never absent, even when we, even when we are. Jesus meets Peter on the shore. And Jesus plays that same game tape that Satan has been playing over and over again. Except Jesus gives a different perspective. As he shows Peter He asks Peter a question. He says, Peter, do you love me? Hey, Peter, give me your attention back, Peter. Hey, do you love me? Hey, Peter, do you love me more than these? Or are you going to keep sulking? Are you going to keep replaying the rooster crowing? Are you going to keep playing what if? You see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is refocusing Peter. He's saying, yes, you were absent before. Don't be absent again. Follow me. Follow me. Peter, be faithful. Peter. Now, what do all three encounters have in common today? All three encounters is evidence of the enduring love of God that meets us right where we are. The enduring love of God that is greater than the turmoil of our situation. The enduring love of God that brings to us peace when there is no peace around us to be found. The love of God that pursues us past the moment to the deeper recesses of our heart and mind. A love that's never that's never absent this little book guess how much I love you I I wanted to find it this week and like many of you our basement is the catch-all for all the things from the girls growing up and I thought at one point that book has made its way downstairs I I mean it's been 10 years now 15 years And so I went down there to look, and we've got several bookcases. We had literally hundreds of children's books for the girls growing up Is their favorite thing to do. And I got tired of reading the same book over and over again. So I went down and I looked underneath the Barbie dolls on the floor, I looked on the bookshelves, of course it's never on the bookshelf where it belongs. I, I looked under the place where the mice had been pooping, you know, all the things that go on in the basement. And then I came upstairs to my youngest daughter's room, Emma's room, she's 10 been 8 years since i had read this book to her we stopped about the age of 2 cuz she could start reading it for herself and there on the shelf in her room only two books was this guess how much i love you you know what the other book was is the bible you see that was the second book that we read to her this one this one is a make-believe story about a rabbit that could talk to its little rabbit. I turned it into a story about a dad who loves his girls. They knew how the story ended. I love them to the moon and back. But the whole time we were reading this, we were reading every night to them the real account of Jesus who loves them so that when they were old enough to know on their own, when the dark and trying times come in their life, when we have unqualified people in government, when we have crazy things going on all around us, that they don't have to question who loves them, but they'll know that God loves them, not to the moon and back, but that God loved them from heaven to the cross to the empty grave and back. That's God's desire for you this weekend, is for you to know just how much he loves you. And you need evidence? What more evidence do you need? That when death is doing its best to you, he will come looking for you. And when he finds you, you will recognize him and you will go with him. When those times come in your life and you realize that you have denied him and you've denied him and you've denied him and that Satan is playing that game tape over and over again, he will come right where you're at. He will meet you right where you're at and he will repurpose you. He will feed you on the shore and he will walk with you as you continue to follow him. His love always is greater and his love is always there for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we can come together, as David said, with believers all over the world to worship you. And Father, while we worship you, we recognize that there is a great need in our country and around the world for people to know of you. Yes, we know that your word says that there is no man or woman that can deny the existence of God because creation, creation speaks to it. It's undeniable. But because of our wickedness, Father, we have turned from that and we have rejected it. And we see it going on all around us, even in our own families, at our own dinner table. And Father, today, Father, today I pray for the awakening of souls that they will see you for who you are, that they will know your love, that they will know your love that transforms them. Father, we love you and we're grateful. Thank you for letting us follow you and for choosing us to be the recipients of your great love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. This next song is your opportunity to respond. Some of you need to respond by accepting Jesus for the first time as Savior and Lord of your life. Some of you have denied him his rightful place over this last year or two or maybe even more. This is an opportunity for you to pray and to acknowledge him and to ask him for strength and courage as you move forward, that you would actually live in the love and in the promise of his presence with you, whatever your need. If you want to step out in the aisle today, I'll meet you as we sing this great next song. Let's stand together.